Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's focus on our sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon, a nice warm Wednesday afternoon here in Johannesburg. And uh, today is the 10th day of the month of Cheshvan. We call the month of Cheshvan in the Hebrew calendar Mar Cheshvan. Uh, Mar is bitter, so like the bitter month of Cheshvan. The reason why we call it Mar Cheshvan is that we're just coming out of the month of Tishrei. And Tishrei is so rich with Yom Yom Toivim, we have Rosh Hashanah, Aseris Tshuva, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and all the wonderful um, uh, opportunities that those holy days uh, give us in order to develop and grow and change and build a new connection with God as we start the new year. And that's what the purpose of those Yom Yom Tovim is, is to regenerate and renew our love, our connection, our commitment with God, um, with Hashem. And so so Tishrei is such a beautiful month. It's called Chodesh Aitanim, the month of the powerful ones, those powerful Yom Tovim. And then we enter into the month of Cheshvan. And Cheshvan, sadly, has no Yom Yom Tovim. Cheshvan, Cheshvan is a month without any special, unique days. We have the Shabbosim of Cheshvan, and every Shabbos is precious and holy. But the rest of Cheshvan doesn't have a Yom Tov. And that's why we call it Mar Cheshvan. But I think every Jew in the world can agree that this Cheshvan has been bitter. We're going through a very bitter time um, for the Jewish people um, as we see how the world reacts to the terrible events that took place in Israel on October the 7th. It's almost been three weeks, and we see how the world public opinion is so biased against Israel and has turned against Israel, unfairly, unjustly. Um, we see the ugly um, head of anti-Semitism rearing itself once more in our world, and uh, it's something that's based on injustice, and it's not based on facts, and it really is a, uh, a very revealing for the Jewish people to see how the media and how many of the institutions in the West are blatantly biased against Israel and against the Jewish people. It clearly is anti-Semitism. Last week, so that's caused a lot of bitterness for us in this month. Um, last week we discussed the number of myths that are perpetuated by the media in um, explaining the narrative of what's going on in the Middle East. And the first one we spoke about how they claim that Israel is on Muslim lands, that Israel has taken the land away from the Palestinians, which is completely false. Um, and we discussed the history and how the Jewish people have been in the land of Israel from the time Yahushua, from the time that Joshua led the people into the land 3,300 years ago, in the year 1,300 before the Common Era. King David's dynasty with his capital as Jerusalem, a thousand years before the Common Era, which is uh, also more than 3,000 years ago. Um, and ever since then, Jewish people have been in the land. It's been the land of the Jewish people. They've been, we're in the third Commonwealth, which means the third independent Jewish state in the land. 
And it has always been Jewish land. If any people has a claim to a land in this world, it's the Jewish people. Uh, we were living in Israel under the kingship of King David um, from the year 1000 before the Common Era, way before most peoples were in their lands, way before um, anybody was in London or in New York or in Sydney or in Johannesburg. And therefore, we have an absolutely powerful claim to the land it's always been Jewish land. There's never been an independent Palestinian state, although it was for some time under Muslim rule when it was part of the Ottoman Empire, but it was never an independent Palestinian state. The Palestinians came to Israel in the 19th century um, when the Jews began to return, um, and uh, that's when the numbers increased, and uh, it always has been a Jewish state. So that's the first myth that we um, exposed last week. The second myth that we exposed last week is that Israel is in the way of a two-state solution. Because of Israel, there hasn't been a negotiation, a compromise, and a peace with the Palestinians. Once again, absolutely false. And we discussed last week how on five different occasions Israel has offered the Palestinians everything that they wanted, 97% of the territory, and many other concessions. And each time the Palestinians turned away from the negotiation table and went to violence, went to terrorism, went to war. And so it's very clear that Israel is prepared to do almost everything for there to be a resolution, to the, for, for there to be a settlement. All Israel wants is for the Palestinians to recognize the state of Israel and to put down their weapons. And as we say, one can sum up the conflict in, in two very simple lines – if Israel puts down her weapons, she would be killed the next day, as happened um, three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago on the 7th of October. If the Palestinians put down their arms, there would be peace. And that really says it all. And so this this narrative that we see from, you know, in social media and the mainstream media, that Israel is the occupier, that Israel is this colonialist, imperialistic force that is causing the innocent Palestinian people to suffer is absolutely false. It's not an accurate depiction of the situation. Israel would do anything for peace, as they did. They gave back a Gaza to the Palestinians in 2005. Uh, two years later, they voted in Hamas, and we see Hamas is completely focused and dedicated on the eradication and destruction of all of Israel. They're not focused on an independent Palestinian state in which the Palestinians could live in harmony with the Jews and build up the area and have prosperity going forward. For their people, that's not their interest at all. It's a holy jihad against the Jews and to liberate all of Palestine from any Jewish inhabitants. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That is a genocidal song that is sung in the campuses around the world. That means from the river to the sea, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, Palestine will be free, free of Jews, no Jews. That's by the Hamas Charter, as I read to you last week, says very clearly we will eradicate all of the Jews from the land of Israel. So that means genocide. That means ethnic cleansing. That means killing every Jew, as they did, as they very clearly displayed um, two and a half weeks ago with the murder of innocent women and children, men, women, and children, elderly. And they're just so righteous that they returned four hostages. Oh, aren't they just... Uh, uh, humani humanitarian individuals. You know, it's all just a, a play to try and tempt us to 
um, you know, view them in a different way. What about the other 220 uh, prisoners, people that were taken captive, kidnapped from their homes, children kidnapped from their homes? The barbarism is unbelievable, and the um, support around the world is unbelievable, The based on a false narrative, not based on the facts and based on reality. So that has led to a mar cheshvan for the Jewish people, and uh, it's very important that we as Jews understand the justice of our cause, call out anti-Semitism for what it is, and stand up for ourselves, stand up for our people, and stand up for Israel, because it is our land, and we have every right to live in our land, and every right to defend ourselves in our land. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So let's try and um, unravel a little bit of, of the misinformation and the fake news that is um, prevalent in our times. And I think there's no greater example than the, the um the accusations that Israel uh, bombed a hospital in Gaza. That really is a microcosm of the whole conflict. And we see how the world has taken that and how it has been reported in the media. And how really it is a modern day blood libel. Um, just bear in mind, I think we should bear in mind that there have been 7,700 rockets fired on Jewish civilians. Now, you, there's no other country in the world that is facing that kind of attack. 7,700 rockets fired on civilian centers in Israel. Um, Baruch Hashem, we have the Iron Dome, which has, is able to intercept, intercept many of them. But it's just an un, unbelievable thing. You, and, and every time one of those rockets is fired, so the alarms and sirens go off. And the families, uh, you know, the, the, you hear a loud siren in your neighborhood. You have to rush into your bomb shelter and you remain there until the all clear is given. Yeah, can one imagine the amount of trauma and the amount of fear in the hearts and in the minds of children that have been living for these two and a half weeks under this terrible situation? And um, the rockets have just been fired right now as we speak to Haifa from Gaza. Hamas, have, their rockets can reach the, the northernmost tip of Israel, the city of Haifa. And so, you know, that's what's going on. We, we see a United Nations Secretary General who says that um, the hopes for a resolution and an improvement of the Palestinian plight are being um, are dimmed right now. Um, and the 56-year occupation of Israel continues. That's what the head of the United Nations says. It's just unbelievable, the bias, how it's been infiltrated, the United Nations, by um, anti-Israel activists and Israeli uh, a anti-Semitic organization. There's no question about it. That if you frame the situation in that way, which is a complete denial of the facts and of what's really going on, displays that United Nations is, is, is very anti-Semitic. Um, and so that's the reality of the world that we're living in now. You know, it's despicable statements like that are made. 
and the facts are completely distorted. And uh, as we said, that uh, you know, blood libels have been um, around for many centuries. Well, what's a blood libel? Blood libel is um, an accusation that Jews kill Christian children and use them for their matzah on Pesach, right? And they usually go around like Easter time. And as a result, many Jews have been accused of such a heinous crime and have been executed, have been tortured, have been killed. Never has there ever been evidence of such a thing. It's always a fabricated claim without any proof. And the, it's obvious, I mean, within Jewish law, anybody knows anything about Jewish law, that we're not allowed to have blood. We're not allowed to mix blood, even of an animal, into anything that we eat and we, anything that we cook. It's prohibited by halacha. So to come up with a cannibalistic accusation is, is absolutely nonsense. It's just a complete lie. And it was throughout the Middle Ages very common that there were blood libels in different cities in Europe and there were pogroms and Jews were attacked and Jews were beaten and Jews were raped and uh, Jews were killed as a result of these false accusations. So we have today a modern blood libel, you know, in, in the way the media presents the situation in the Middle East. And the, the example is last Wednesday, the accusations that Israel um, fired missiles or, or, or uh, sent bombs on onto a uh, hospital in Gaza. And, you know, the, the uh, Alan Dershowitz wrote an excellent article about this, and he said other libels against Jews form the basis of classic anti-Semitism, I'm quoting directly, culminating in the Nazi lies that dehumanized Jews to an extent that made the Holocaust possible. Following the murder of 6 million innocent Jews, including babies, the world said never again, and anti-Semitism abated in many parts of the world. Now it is back with a vengeance, accompanied by blood libels and other systematic lies about the Jewish people and their nation state. It is against this sordid historical background that the current blood libel that Israel targeted a Gaza hospital deliberately causing the death of 500 Muslim children, women and men can be understood and assessed. This is there is absolutely no evidence that Israel struck the hospital, whether deliberately or accidentally. Evidence from videos, photographs and telephone intercepts have proved to intelligence ag agencies around the world that a barrage of rockets was launched towards Israel from near the hospital by the Palestinian Islamic Jihad and that one of the rockets malfunctioned mid-flight, landed not directly on the hospital but in its outdoor parking lot and that the explosion killed far fewer than 500 people. So the, the intelligence agencies around the world have seen this evidence and have said that the, the evidence is convincing that that is the case, that the rockets were fired by Islamic Jihad, they misfired, and they landed in this parking lot next to the hospital. Um, the claim of 500 people came within minutes, and uh, they came from the Gaza Health Ministry, in other words, from Hamas, and they lie. No facts or numbers are ever verifiable. Moreover, Hamas claims that no rocket part survived, another self-serving lie. Yet the blood libel is widely believed by Israel's enemies, perhaps because they want to believe it. It is too good a story to be ruined by the facts. As the journalist Beckett Adams wrote in the National Review, the media will never forgive Israel for not bombing that hospital. Reporters and pundits 
mishandled the Gaza hospital story because they wanted so badly for it to be true. So this is the current climate that we're under. And we see, you know, these lies spewed constantly in the media. And the narrative comes from that point of view that Israel is occupying Arab lands and that Israel is causing great suffering and persecution um, and uh, hardship and, and terrible atrocities to innocent Arab civilians. So, again, that is an incorrect perspective. Israel wants nothing more than peace. And tomorrow, today, now, is the Israeli leaders would sit with Arab leaders and would work out a compromise and would work out a two-state solution and give um, the Palestinians the opportunity to, to um, rule themselves as long as they would recognize Israel's right to exist and put down their arms and show serious intent of peace. Those are the only two preconditions. But that's not going to happen because they will not do that. Because this is not a, a struggle for political emancipation and for um, territorial independence of the Palestinian territories. Israel gave back Gaza with any, without any preconditions. And Hamas uses all of their abilities and resources to attack Israel not to build up the infrastructure of Gaza, not to use the um, the pipes that were sent for sewerage um, for the good of the of the conditions of the people. Those pipes were used for rockets, and the uh, concrete that was sent in in order to build hospitals and to build schools was used for tunnels, terror tunnels. So we see that they completely bent on destroying Israel, and they're open about it. It's not like you know this is something that they are hiding. You read their charter and you'll see that that is the express intent. The intent is to fight the holy jihad and to liberate the land from the infidels. The entire land from the river to the sea. The whole of Israel. And Muslims around the world support the jihad. That's part of their religion. That's part of their loyalty to being a good Muslim. And that's why we see these very um, large protests all over the world with uh, very angry crowds shouting um, slogans ab- about Israel and about the Jewish people because that's part of the Muslim religion is to support the jihad and to liberate lands that were once under Muslim control from the infidels. And so we see that across the world. But they fool the West. The West believes that this is a territorial struggle of political emancipation. That is false. That's not what is going on over here. If that was the case, there would be peace and there would be a resolution and everybody could look forward to a brighter, better Middle East with cooperation. That is not what's going on over here. The um, fight and struggle of the Palestinians is to liberate the land from the Jews and to remove the Jews from the land, to, to completely obliterate any Jewish inhabitants and existence in the land of Israel. And the, the West very complacently and very naively, and I suppose if you're cynical, because of their anti-Semitic tendencies, buys into the narrative, the false narrative, that it's about political emancipation and that it's about the innocent Palestinian children that are being, um, that are being prejudiced against and are suffering at the hands of the evil Zionists and the evil Israelis who have these colonialist um, imperialistic desires that is completely false. There's nothing colonialist imperialistic about Israel. 
Israel doesn't want those territories. They gave back Gaza. They would give back the West Bank tomorrow. Um, and they only gained those territories because they were under such a threat of, of annihilation. Israel begged Jordan in 1967 not to enter the war. They said, if you don't attack us, we won't attack you. Well, you'll be neutral. But Jordan entered the war, and Israel therefore had to defend itself and fight against the Jordanian army in the east, and that's how they got the territories of the West Bank. So um, it's important that we don't fall into these mistakes, and we don't believe the superficial messages that we're getting from social media, from Instagram or from TikTok, and that we stand up strong for Israel. We understand the justice of our cause, and we don't follow the liberal world in uh, demonizing Israel and in presenting it in a very false way. So, in Hashem, Israel will prevail and Israel will be strong. Um, it's, it's, of course, worth mentioning, you know, the, 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 what, what really upsets me most is the moral equivalent that is expressed in the media. Like, um, Hamas is guilty of atrocities, as we saw on the 7th of October, and Israel is guilty of atrocities. And both sides, you know, there needs to be a de-escalation of violence and there needs to be a ceasefire. That, that creates a, a moral equivalence that is completely false and that is an absolute lie. There's no moral equivalence. Hamas has their soldiers, their, their terrorists coming into Israel, infiltrating across the border and murdering men, women and children, rape, raping women, taking babies and cutting their heads off and taking kidnapping civilians and taking them into Gaza. There's no moral equivalent at all to Israel. Israel is defending herself and Israel is trying to destroy the infrastructure of Hamas and Israel is begging the people of Gaza, please leave. Don't remain there. Don't be the human shields that Hamas wants you to be because they want there to be um, evidence of Israel attacking civilians and they can then peddle that around the world and, and the uh, mainstream media will then, you know, show the world how evil Israel is. That's exactly what they want. Israel is begging them, please leave Gaza City and there's plenty of place to go. Gaza is a big place. Gaza City is not the only place in Gaza. Yes, there's a, a big population in Gaza City, but Israel is requesting for them to leave because there's going to be a war and it's the Hamas um, evil leaders they tell the people to stay and tell the people they got a holy obligation to stay. If you're a human shield, they, they, all of the infrastructure is in civilian areas to hide behind the civilians. If you're a human shield, that's a great achievement. To die for the cause of the liberation of Palestine, of the holy jihad, is a wonderful thing. That's what they're telling the people. And so people aren't leaving. Who's the evil one here? Israel's begging them to leave, and yes, they can leave. Don't believe the false reports that they're not able to leave, and Israel's blocking their ability to leave. They can go south. And in fact, what Israel's done is there's still water and electricity in the south, which is, is to entice the people to go south, and they've blocked off the water and electricity to Gaza City, which is the center of Hamas, where Hamas's infrastructure is. And don't tell me that's a, a crime against humanity to block off the water. You are attacked. Your children are attacked. You have no responsibility to provide water and electricity. Israel is providing it. Why didn't Hamas build up their own infrastructure for water and for electricity and use the billions of dollars of aid that they got around the world that went straight to weapons and to missiles? Why didn't they use that to build up their people? So Israel is not responsible for their water and electricity. Complete nonsense. And they cut it off in Gaza City so to encourage the people to go down south where there still is water and electricity. So the, the whole narrative is so twisted and is so bent and is so false. Um, 
and and they encourage people who's evil to encourage your civilians to remain when you know your enemy that you've antagonized and attacked so brutally is coming in, is going to try and destroy the soldiers. Israel's goal is not to hurt civilians. Israel is the most humane army in the world. Israel goes to great lengths to to, uh, to try and keep the civilian casualties down. And there's no question about it. There's so much evidence supporting that. So, so who are the evil ones? Israel who tells the people to leave or Hamas who tells the people to stay and to be human shields and to hide behind them. So there's no moral equivalency whatsoever. One's a, a terrorist organization, organization bent on genocide and ethnic cleansing and removing every Jew from Israel. And one is a country that's def- defending its civilians who's received 7,700 rockets in the last, uh, in the last 20 days and who's had 1,400 of its people murdered in the most brutal way and 220 of its people still held captive in Gaza. Where are the pleas of the UN and of the great peace-loving humanitarians in the world for our people that have been kidnapped? The world should be putting tremendous pressure on the evil leaders of Hamas to release the captives, to release those people that they kidnapped. That's not what you're hearing from the world. You're hearing how evil Israel is for targeting Palestinian civilians, which is completely false and anti-Semitic. So, um, please God, we understand the justice of our cause. We remain positive. We remain strong. The Jewish people are good people. The Jewish people are peace-loving people. The Jewish people are merciful people. But the Jewish people have a right to exist. They have a right to have their own homeland, which has been the Jewish homeland for more than 3,000 years. And they have a right to defend themselves. And therefore, Tzahal, the Israeli army, is just and is, is, is correct in destroying Hamas. And they must destroy Hamas. They must go into Gaza and destroy Hamas. And to our great regret, there will be civilian casualties. We don't want civilian casualties. But unfortunately, these cowards hide behind civilians in order to turn the public relations against Israel in the world. But Israel must eradicate Hamas. They have no choice. And it's very important that the world watches because Israel is not the only hotbed of jihad in the world. Part of Islam is to dominate the whole world. It's a religion that wants to take over the whole world. And they first are focusing on lands that were controlled by Muslims. And then they're going to focus on the rest of the world. And Europe is being overrun by Muslims. Um, in two or three generations, Europe is going to be majority Muslim. And it will be run by Muslims and um, Sharia law and uh, jihad is coming to Europe. It's not far away. And unless the West wake, uh, wakes up and opens their eyes, they will be faced with this same terror and with these same atrocities and with the same threat that Israel's faced with. So it's very important that the West stands up for Israel and supports Israel and doesn't tolerate this kind of terror and these kind of atrocities um, because the threat remains for the entire world. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So 
So today is the 10th of Mar Cheshvan. Tonight, the 11th of Cheshvan, is the Yotzat of Rachel Imenu, of the great matriarch of the Jewish people, Rachel Rachel. Rachel was an example to all humanity of being a selfless giving person, of taking care of the needs of others, of not putting herself first, but putting the needs of her sister Leah first. And uh, we know that... Um, she was due to marry Yaakov, and uh, her um, her father was a very um, dishonest, conniving individual, and he um, replaced her with her sister, um, which was completely dishonest. And Rachel didn't want to embarrass her sister, and she loved Yaakov, and it was the love of her life, and she had hoped to build future generations with her soulmates. And in order not to embarrass her sister, she gave her sister the signs, the simanim, that he would know it was her because uh, Yaakov suspected that Lavan would make such a move, would uh, would do something so uh, conniving and dishonest. And so she is the absolute paradigm of selflessness, of caring for others, and of uh, trusting in Hashem. And when we look after other people and care for other people, Hashem will look after us which really is the story of Rachel Imenu. Mamedra says that when the Jews were exiled, so they went past the the direction um, to take them out of Israel. That was after the destruction of the first temple by Babylonians um, in 554 the common era. So they, the Jews went past the burial site of Rachel, which is in Beis Lechem, um, and they, still today we all go visit Kever Rachel. It's a, it's a very powerful place to go. One feels an incredible energy. Obviously, uh, our Hadith tradition tells us that where a person is buried, um, there is a remnant of their achievements in the world. One accesses, one, one um, connects to what they did and what they represented and how they changed the world. And so one feels that unbelievable power of Rachel Imeinu at her kever. So I recommend um, if you go to Israel to go visit kever Rachel and um, the Midrash says that when the Jewish people went past her kever, they cried um, and they said, Rachel, plea on our behalf in Shemaim that the Jewish people can return to our land. Many remained still, but the majority of the community were exiled by the Babylonians, which was a normal thing in those times. When you conquered a country, you wanted to take the powerful leaders out of the country so they wouldn't be rebellion, which is what they did. And the Midrash says that Rachel Mavake Albaneha, Rachel cried for her children. And Hashem answered and said that they Shavim Banim Ligvula, that your children will return back home. And that was the, 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 the prayer, and those were the tears of Rachel. And Hashem answered her that her prayers would, would, would in fact be fulfilled, and the Jewish people would return from this exile. And we did. We returned and built the second temple and uh, been in, in Israel ever since. And now we have the, the the independent state of Israel, which is a great source of pride for the Jewish people and very important for the Jewish people around the world, uh, especially in a post-Holocaust world. We see the necessity to have a state of Israel. And uh, so we all tonight and tomorrow should try and link in with the prayers of Rachel Imeno. And to try and pray for Israel, pray for the safety of the people of Israel, pray for the safety of our civilians.
pray for the safety of our soldiers and uh, pray for peace in Israel and for better times, please God, for the Jewish people and all the members of the Middle East. We're not interested in attacking anybody or hurting anybody, but we certainly have a right and have the ability to defend ourselves. And may our prayers be of assistance and may the schus, the merit of Rachli Meino, be a source of merit for all the Jewish people. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So let's uh, end off with maybe more of a positive message, um, which comes from this week's Torah reading. We now enter into um, Sefer Bereshis and the Avos and Imaos, the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the Jewish people, the great spiritual giants that laid the foundations for Klal Yisrael and future generations. We see an amazing idea with regards to Avram Avinu, Abraham. So the, there's a famous mission in Pirka Avos that says anybody who has the following attributes is a Talmud, is a student of Abraham, Ein Tova, Ruach, Nemucha, Venefesh, Shefela, which means an Ein Tova, a good eye. One looks positively at others, one looks positively at life, one um, celebrates the success of others. Ruach Numucha means a humble spirit. And Nefesh Shafela means a, 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 a modest uh, soul. So that's referring to a person who has humility and is not arrogant in this world. Um, so the, there's an interesting question. How do Chazal know? So they say that Abraham, the outstanding characteristics, what he has, and he has humility, which represents his humility. But where do we see the humility of Abraham Avinu? The Torah says, yes, about Moshe Rabbeinu, Ish Moshe, Anav Mo'od, Mikol, Adam, Alpnei Adam. Moshe Rabbeinu is the most humble person in the world. But it doesn't say that about Abraham. It says many other things about Abraham, that he was a kind person, that he was dedicated to monotheism, that he taught the world about God. Uh, together with his soulmate and life partner, Sarah Emenu. Um But it doesn't say that he was humble. So why do Chazal, why do our sages in Pirkei Avos and the Ethics of the Fathers emphasize this attribute of Avraham? Rabbi Cheska Levenstein quotes the famous Rambam. The Rambam writes in um, Hilchas Avodah Zorah in the Mishnah Torah, um, in Halacha Gimel of Perik Aleph. The Rambam says that from the age of three, Avraham saw that there must be a creator, a benevolent creator to this world. And um, can you imagine such a thing? He was the only one. The whole world was over the Avodah The whole world worshipped idols. And Abraham realized that was false. He realized that was wrong. And he knew that there must be a creator. Um, so we ask, you know, that seems to be quite extraordinary, quite incredible, unbelievable. This one child goes against all of humanity. Hundreds of thousands of people are seeing the world one day, are living one way, and this one child knows that they're wrong. And he, he pursues the truth, and he understands clearly. So the Rambam explains, and he says, the reason, the, the way uh, Abraham Avinu did it, was that he looked at this magnificent world. He saw the sun, and the moon, and the stars. He saw the magnificent natural world, the trees, 73,000 species of trees that exist on the planet. He saw the plants, 
430,000 species of plants on the planet. He saw the birds, 11,000 species of birds on the planet. Here in, in uh, Kruger Park, we have about 500 species of birds in the greater Kruger area. Um, he saw the animals, the, the beautiful animals. You know, we as South Africans are privileged to go into the bush and to see the magnificence and the perfection and the harmony of creation of God's world. He looked into the human body, Avraham Avinu, and he saw the functioning of sight and of digestion and of respiration of the immune system, of the brain, etc., etc., etc. And he said, there must be a creator. Who created all of this? Where did it all come from? How does it continue to exist? And he wouldn't buy into the nonsense of Avodah Zorah and of the fact that it just came by accident and chance and there's certain forces and energies that created. That was the view of Avodah Zorah. Today we have even greater um, heresy where they say it was by accident. This whole perfect, magnificent, sophisticated creation is accident. Have you lost your mind? <laughs> Are you normal? Well, it doesn't make any sense. There's no logic in that to say that this magnificent world is, is accidental. And the statistical probability is so unlikely for that to be, to say it all came by random selection and by accident. And that's how this magnificent, um, perfect world came about. It, it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a crazy, ridiculous claim. And there's very little evidence supporting that, very little evidence. The chances are there being a creator is much, much more both by logic and by evidence, then there is that the world is accidental. There's no God. No question about it. Any objective, clear-thinking individual will see that. That's very obvious. And that's what Avraham Avinu did. He saw that as a child. It does say, and, and therefore he was... So really the question is not on Avraham. The question is on the rest of the world. Why did the rest of the world not see a creator when it's so clear and obvious? And right in front of us, wherever we look in this world, we see design. We see intelligent design. We see the fingerprints of a designer, of Hashem, all over. So Rabbi Cheskel Levinstein says an amazing thing. He says the reason why the world didn't see is because you've got two types of people in this world. You've got givers and takers. You've got people that are giving individuals, and that, are, that allows them to see the reality around them, the truth around them. And you've got individuals that are takers. But when somebody's a taker, they're so preoccupied with the taking, with their needs and with their desires, that they don't recognize where that which they're taking came from. And he said that's why the rest of the world did not see God and only Abraham saw God in this world. And that proved to us that he must have been a humble individual. So only a humble individual is a giver, sees the the blessings that they have, the, that they are a recipient of benevolence, of grand benevolence, of the Unbelievable blessing that they're showered with in their world. Only a giving kind of person is going to see that. Only a humble person is going to see it. So he says, that's how Chazal, Rav said, that's how Chazal knew that Avram was humble. Because he, we know that the story of his life is that he went against all of humanity and saw God and understand, understood the creator, a kind creator. He must have been a very humble person to be able to do that. So that's a proof that he was a very humble person. That was his outstanding characteristic. As the Messiah Shisham says, Anava, means that you recognize um, that everything is from God. That's what humility is, is recognizing from where all the blessing comes. And Abraham certainly recognized that, and that's why his outstanding characteristics were a nefesh and the ruach nemocha. And we are all supposed to be Talmudim. We are all descendants. Every Jew is a descendant of Abraham and Sarah. 
that needs to be our attribute too, is to be humble, is not to be a taker where we're so preoccupied with our needs and our wants and our desires and my life and my world and my my family. We're supposed to give, uh, hold ourselves back and be giving people and be humble people and to see God's kindness and God's benevolence around us and to live a life of gratitude and appreciation to Hashem. That's the life of a Jew. A life of gratitude and appreciation to God. That's a great life. That's a great achievement. That should be the goal of every Jew. Is to see God in our lives and to express thanks God, God to God every day of our lives. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.